There's a verse in Nehemiah 2, verse 20 that says this, that says, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. And there is something this morning about something has to happen. At some point, something has to happen. Something has to physically happen. If we're talking about rebuilding, and so um, I've got some friends with me this morning. They're invisible, so you'll have to trust me, but they are here. And, um, and my first mate, he's called Mr. Concerned, and um, he's like a normal Joe guy. He goes to work on the train, has his sandwiches, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. You know, he just goes around his daily business. And on this day, Mr. Concerned maybe reads an article in his newspaper that has really sort of, you know, affects him and really grabs his attention. Or maybe he's seen something on the news that morning on, on Sky News or Breakfast TV before he's gone out to work. And, or maybe a mate next to his desk at work has shared something with him that has really sort of bothered him. And uh, he goes home at night and maybe he shares it with his wife or he shares it with a friend and he touts a bit and he says something like this. Mr. Concern says, you know, that shouldn't be allowed to happen, you know. Things that, things that go on in this world today, that shouldn't be allowed to happen. Do you believe what's happened today? And then his tea gets dropped down in front of him. Maybe it's his favorite shepherd's pie or, you know, it's a chicken casserole or whatever it is that really touches, you know, warms the cockles of his heart, as the phrase goes. Um, and he starts to eat his tea. And Mr. Concerns just becomes a good intention. His attention has been taken elsewhere. He's, he's had something prompt his thinking, but his concern has just become a good intention. And here's my second mate. My second mate is Mr. Broken. And Mr. Broken has been so concerned that he couldn't shake it off all through the day. He couldn't get it out of his mind. Those images that he's seen on his TV screen, he couldn't sort of put them out and, and think about what was happening in the world. And, and he couldn't like eat his dinner. It put him off his food. And he went to bed and he couldn't sleep and he couldn't shake it off. And then... Maybe he sent some money off to an organization or to a good cause that dealt with his concern. And all of a sudden, he feels better and he starts to eat again and he goes to sleep and he has, sleeps like a baby. Because hasn't he done something? Hasn't he done something? And here's Mr. Faster and Mr. Prayer. Here's my third friend, Mr. Faster and Mr. Prayer. And he's so broken. He feels he's got to bring it to God because actually God does have the answer, doesn't he? And he knows that. He knows within himself there's nothing he can do to change that concern. He can be as broken as he wants to be. But unless God gets involved, nothing is ever, ever going to change. So he faithfully prays and he brings his burden before God. And he says, God, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What's on your heart? How do you feel about this world that we've created and we've let fall and we do terrible things to one another and we let things fall into rack and ruin? How do you feel about it, God? You know, he feels he's standing in the gap. Ever felt like that? That you're the only one representing the whole of mankind, the whole of humanity about this one concern and this one broken issue. You see, Mr. Faster and Prayer is a firm believer in praying a burden through. So maybe, maybe he prays for 40 days because after all, that's a godly number, isn't it? We all know God works in 40 day periods. So he prays for 40 days and he feels the burdens lifted because he's sure that God has done something about that burden with somebody somewhere. So Mr. Faster and Prayer feels a release in his spirit. And what does he do? He waits for his next godly prayer mission.
And then my fourth friend. I want you to meet Mr. Surveyor of the Ruins. Mr. Surveyor of the Ruins. He spent 40 days locked away in his prayer closet or under his bed or in his toilet or wherever he goes to pray that's private. And he's really spent time seeking God and fasting regularly. But he feels the need to get out there. He feels the need to go and see what's going on. He feels the need to see for himself the state of what his concern was all about. And so he books some time off work, he takes his savings, he jets off, he goes off to the land where this stuff is happening. He weeps and he shouts over what he sees. And he comes home and he says something like this. You know what? It is as bad as I thought it was. That stuff really does happen out there. It is such a state. There are people living in poverty. There are people living in ruins. There are people living in brokenness. There are people living in pain. It is just as they told me it was. But then Mr. Surveyor of the Ruins goes back to work. He goes back to work, enriched by the experience, but the landscape hasn't changed. Mr. Concerned, Mr. Broken, Mr. Faster and Prayer, Mr. Surveyor of the Ruins, how many of them have actually built anything? How many of them have actually built anything? None. None. Now meet Nehemiah. Now meet Nehemiah, who started concerned. He heard something. His mate told him a news report. Nehemiah became broken. He couldn't shake it off. He couldn't let it go. He couldn't stop it affecting his life. He became a faster and a prayer. He brought it before God. He said, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this, God? What do you want me to do? He felt the need to go out and survey the ruins. He went and saw for himself what was going on. But then Nehemiah became a builder. He became a builder. And I'm unashamedly going to exhort you this morning to build. <laughs> to build. You see, what will change if we just talk about a building? What will change if we write a book about a building? What will change if we form several committees to investigate the possibility of building? What will change if we discuss at length the advantages of building? What will change if we begin to meet and pray? about a building it is time to build and we have done all of those things they are all godly things to do but our landscape will not change if we don't build so if you have a bible with you can you go to Nehemiah chapter 3? And I'm just going to pull out some observations from this. I'm not going to read it through blatantly because I cannot pronounce half the names that are written in this chapter. And I would not want to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce them. Um, so I'm just going to pull out some, some observations really from this. And I want to encourage you, if you're looking at something to study, maybe look at the whole gate things in here. You know, there's a whole thing about this gate and that gate and this gate and that gate. And they all really mean something. And I'm not going to touch on that at all this morning. So if you want to go away and do some private study, then I'd encourage you to do that. So verse 1, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. 
building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as, the, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. Verse 1 starts with the priests. Who were the priests? They were the godly leaders of the day. They set the example. They set the example. And they had no problem in using their consecrated hands to swing a hammer or two. And what an encouragement that would have been to the people. That the first men up the wall, the first brick that was put in, the first gate that was built, was built by the leaders. And do you know what leadership does, what leadership requires? And at that moment in time, they didn't need to go off and have a godly prayer meeting and pray a blessing on the work and, you know, go and petition God. They needed to be on their knees with a trail and a brick in hand building the wall. And I want to encourage this morning, if you are a leader in any capacity, in any capacity, you need to be first to swing the hammer wherever you can. Wherever you can. Whether it's encouraging someone else, whether it's speaking into your life group, whether it's becoming somebody who can be relied upon to actually do what you say you're going to do. Leadership does what leadership requires. So the first thing there is priority. Be the first to swing the hammer. Do you know what? The people worked shoulder to shoulder and 28 times, 28 times in that chapter, you get the same repeated phrase. To him, next to him, after him, following him, after them. 28 times. And it can get quite repetitive and you can get quite used to skipping over lists of things like that. But you see, what Nehemiah did so well was to mobilize people around a purpose, not just give them a job. He envisioned them. They knew what they were doing. They knew the importance of building together. Do you know, he mobilized 44, not 44 people, 44 different groups of people. 44 goldsmiths, perfume makers, masons, teachers, scribes, leaders. 44 separate groups of people around a common purpose. And they were from a variety of backgrounds. You had noblemen and peasants as they viewed there. You had men and women. You had vocational people. You had, you know, cerebral people, all working for the same common purpose. You see, if I was putting a construction project together, who would I look for? Who would you look for? I'll tell you what, I wouldn't look for somebody like me. I was the kid who took something home for my mum to say, oh, that's nice. What is it? I was the kid in woodwork who had their project taken off them and finished by the teacher so my mum would have a clue as to what it was. I'm going to milk it now. I was the kid. I was the kid in art who... By the end of my second year of art in high school, the teacher just used to say to me, and this is true, don't you worry about it, Jane, just do a collage. <laughs> On my school report, it said, under art, Jane is dot, 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 you know bigger boxes for your teacher? Jane is lots of dots, willing. I dropped art. Um, 
I am, honestly, I am the worst creative building. And I think, God. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe there is something in that Jane is willing. Maybe there is something in that in Jane is willing. Because you see, we're not just building a wall, we're building each other. Because the wall had to meet. It had to match. It had to connect. And so there is something about getting along and building each other up as we're in this time. Because, do you know, we will never get beyond how well we get along. We will never get beyond how well we're getting along. And this third place vision has to unite us. It has to. And don't sit there and think, do you know what? There's some people here who've done this before. They know what they're doing. They don't need me. They've raised loads of money before. They've come into an empty building before. There are people more qualified at this than I am. What have I got to offer? Listen, this morning is all about me exhorting you that you have value and you have a place at the wall. Whether you can do Pictionary or not, And they're having stressed the need to be united. I really don't want us to lose the distinctiveness of being individual either. We are not clones. We are not stereotypes. We are not identical. There were people specifically named. They weren't just called the workers. They weren't called the builders. And do you know what? Nehemiah's name isn't even mentioned once in this chapter. And I think it's because he wanted the focus to be on everyone doing the work. He may have had the concern. He may have been the one that was initially broken. He may have been the one that initially energized the people and mobilized them. But it was the people that built the wall. Nehemiah couldn't have done that on his own. And as a leadership and and as elders, they can't do it on their own. It's all about us coming together. Verse 12 it says, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Women are mentioned. Do you know how rare that is? Everyone had a stake in what was being built. Everyone. But you know, if we're all different, we definitely need some organization. Because cooperation needs some coordination. And I just want to say a big cheer for those of you that have done your spiritual gift, any assessment at all. And one of your top gifts was administration. Because we need you. And you've sat there and you've thought, there's much better gifts. Listen, prophecy didn't build the wall. Speaking in tongues didn't build the wall. So you administrators out there, you people who can organize, people who can actually get people doing and get people pitching up and get people working, now is your time. Now is your time. We all have value. You have value. Your contrasting personalities and your complementary and distinctive abilities have a place 
in this time in building our wall. How about generosity? Dan talked about this last week, that work is done by the willing to sacrifice. And in verses 13 to 19, it gives a whole list of people there of how they repaired section after section after section. But those people were out of towners. They didn't live in Jerusalem. They had to travel 15 to 20 miles to come and rebuild the wall. Now that's great if you've got a Citroen. And you can just nip in and get in the car and just drive 15 miles down the road. Not so great when you've got to walk it, is it? which is what they would have had to have done. There's no West Midlands transport, although they would probably have got there quicker without West Midlands transport. Sorry. <laughs> but they were from out of town. Do you know what? There would have been no immediate benefit to those people of what they were building. But they saw the greater cause. They saw the bigger picture. I want to speak to you this morning and to those of you that live outside of Halzoen. That wouldn't class Halzoen as your town, as your community. And I'm talking to myself now. Maybe what initially is built here and flows out of here won't directly benefit where you live yet. But I want to encourage you, see the bigger picture. See the greater course. Come, jump in your Citroens and your Renaults and come and help build the wall. Come and help build what God is doing here. Because it will benefit you eventually. Let's be people of sacrifice and generosity. And own the land where we are. And we have an opportunity here on the 10th of October to start that. On the Community Action Day. And I want to encourage you, again, put your name down. Get involved. Come and invest maybe where you don't live. Maybe come and do a garden that isn't in your street. Maybe come and minister to to people that won't be able to do it themselves, that isn't in your community. But see the bigger cause, see the greater picture. Come and show the community that something is happening and something is changing. There's a verse in this chapter that really bothers me, and um, it's verse 5. And it says, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. You know, that's the only negative verse in this chapter. The only negative verse. And I think this is the Old Testament version of throwing a sickie. I'm not going to ask how many of you have ever thrown a sickie. But I think that's what they did. They're expected to come because they're listed. But they didn't pitch up. And the sad thing is that they knew the need, but they refused to help. They knew the need. They were aware of what was going on. They knew the purpose. They knew the reason. They knew the result, but they refused 
to help. I don't want to be somebody that says I'm going to pitch up and then on the day says there's a better offer. I'd rather go and watch the match. Or EastEnders is on. They knew the need but refused to help. Maybe, I don't know why, maybe there's a bit of pride there. They were nobles. Maybe they expected a better job. Maybe, maybe they expected to be a supervisor and they were given a cement mixer. Maybe, maybe they expected to be in the planning office and they were given a trowel and a load of bricks. Maybe even, maybe they were expected to go and meet the leaders of the community and represent the work. And you know what? They were given a little bit of wood and expected to make something out of it. To work next to somebody that they wouldn't even have in their house maybe, let alone work next to. So they never pitched up. I just want to encourage us, whatever we are given to do, whatever we are asked to do, there is a reason and a purpose behind it. And some of us may be expecting to do certain things. And maybe you will. And maybe I will. But we need to do what needs to be done. And if you're given a cement mixer, make cement. If you're given a trowel and some bricks, build the wall. If you're asked to go and meet some people and represent what is happening here, do that. But don't throw a sickie. Don't throw a sickie. Because work is done by those determined to give their best. Because Nehemiah, he wasn't a fool. He assigned his work really wisely. And in verses 28 to 30, we read how people were given repairs to make in front of their own houses. Now, that he's a sound guy. He's got it together, Nehemiah. He understood that people weren't going to build shabbily right outside their own garden wall. Because they've got to look at it forever. If I was given something to build outside Dan's house, I could throw it up knowing I could go home and not have to look at what I'd built. See, Nehemiah knew. He knew how to motivate. He knew how to get people infused. And he gave them plots of land outside their own homes. He knew they'd build good. If you're part and you count this as your spiritual home, build good. Because you're being asked to build outside your own house. And what is built here, we're going to have to look at. So let's build good. Let's build wisely. Let's give the best. But work is finished, not done. Work is finished by those who will go the extra mile. And verse 20 says, next to him, Baruch, son of Zebai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. 27, next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. See, they didn't say we've done our bit, we're off home now. They didn't say, oh, we've done our job. 
they looked for more opportunity. They worked on another section. You see, we could be tempted to just build on what we volunteered to do. But how awesome would it be if we went and built on another section and we gave a little bit more and we looked for somebody that maybe was struggling to finish and we went and stood with them and gave them their bricks and helped them build their part of the wall. You see, verse 20 says there was a guy there who zealously, zealously repaired. And this word here means to glow or burn. This guy was on fire, man. This guy was on fire. He was committed. He was passionate. Because in a crowd of committed constructors, some will stand out. And will that be me or will that be you? Will you stand out in this period of building what God is calling us to do here? And we need people of passion of every age. Of every age. Because we need people that will not settle for what has been but for what needs to be. For what needs to be. So what does all of this really mean to us as a people? Is this just such of a great sort of exhortation to you and encourage you and we go out, rah, 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 you know, we're going to build, we're going to build, we're going to build. Actually, I think there's some lessons here that we need to, to really take into our hearts and think about. And one of them is this, we must have the courage to be a team. We must have the courage to be a team. You see, we're not called to act rashly or do our own thing as much as we would like to. We need to set aside our preferences and our desires and our hurts, and our pride. Why? So that the team succeeds. So that the team succeeds. It doesn't mean that, we're, that God isn't interested in all of those things. And the brilliant thing is, you know, when we start to build, our preferences do get built into the wall. What our calling is does get built into the wall. What our heart breaks over does get built into the wall. What makes us fast and pray does get built into the wall. What makes us go out there and see the state of our world does get built into the wall. Anyway. We need people to commit time, talent and treasure to complete the task. Maybe for some of you, maybe money is an easy thing for you to give. Maybe time isn't. Maybe it's time for some of us to take our talent from here for a season and come and plant it here so we can start to build the wall. You see, Nehemiah takes a disorganized, unmotivated, uninspired group of people and turns them into an army with a cause. And I'm looking at a group of people this morning that could become an army with a cause. Amen? You could. Why not? What would stop you? I get overwhelmed. I get scared by it. I get anxious about it. I want to run away. But then I think about that moment when this building opens. And I look down at the blisters on my hands and the scars, those that are seen and those that won't be seen, because we will get both. 
And I think, what? It was worth it, wasn't it? For a community's landscape to be changed for eternity, that's worth it, isn't it? We're not building a bigger building to minister to the same people in a better way. We're building something that is going to run like a river into every genre of our community. So what every group of people, your heart breaks over, the third place, there's a place for them. There's a place for them. But we have to build. Visions from God are bigger than we are. Visions from God are bigger than we are. And I read this quote again this week that says, if you can do this job yourself, then your vision is too small. And we can't do this job ourselves. So it has to be God that builds, doesn't it? There's not one of us that has all the skill, all the wisdom, all the experience, all the know-how, all the gifting, all the talent to pull this off. But together, with the God who's birthed it in the first place, and it's already built in the heart of God, we're already open in the heart of God. We're already seeing our community changed in the heart of God. We're already sending more people overseas in the heart of God. We're already training more people to be equipped into leading areas in our community in the heart of God. We're already feeding the poor and the broken and the marginalized in the heart of God. Through a building that's going to be built here, all we need to do is to work together and see it become a reality. See, Nehemiah had a can-do attitude. What was his source? He was confident about God's agenda. And if nothing else, this morning we can be confident about God's agenda, can't we? Yeah? We can be confident about God's agenda, that he wants his kingdom to come and his will be done in Halzoin and surrounding areas, in this nation and abroad. That will never change. That will never change. So we are designed to network together. We are built for that purpose and we are partnering at different levels with our community already. You know that from some of the things that we've already shared. And when, you know, we move and when we build and when the building opens and when, you know, the back block gets done, you know, there'll be people that come in and work here and offer their services from here. There'll be people that put staff into the building to reach different areas of our community. There'll be those that have given money. There'll be those that have actually just given letters of support and wanted to sponsor the work that goes on here. But we will have worked together as a community. And wouldn't it be great if, when somebody asks for a direction, they don't say, you know the new Asda? What about if they said, you know the third place building? Why not? Everything revolves around Asda. Well, you can just go to Asda. Some young people I know live in Asda. I want them to live here. The employment that will be created, the opportunities that will be created, the experiences to be had aren't about Asda. 
And I'm not decrying people who work in Asda either. I go there every day when I'm here. <laughs> but I just think, God used to be the centre of the community and everything came out from there. Everyone was looked after. Let's put as the second. Let's make the third place the place for people where they know they're going to come and be loved and supported and fed holistically. Wouldn't that be awesome? And if that doesn't motivate you, then I don't think I can say anything else that would. You belong on this team. You have a place at the wall. And as the guys come back, I just want to tell you three final things really quickly. The first one is have courage. Have courage. We will all have things to overcome. And if you haven't already, then I'd love to say it's not coming, but it will. The second thing is, be on the team. Are you going to turn up your sleeves? Are you going to turn up your nose? Or are you even going to turn up at all? Let's roll our sleeves up. And I may ask a thousand times how that brick goes into that brick and what does it look like? But be on the team and let's build this wall together.